0: The show where we reward the contestant who can best misuse scripture to mean whatever they want. <laughs> Let's meet our contestants. She's a no-nonsense mother of three who believes she knows everything about the Bible. Welcome, Helen! <laughs> Going up against her today is this confused man. Say hello to Doug! I'm not really sure why I'm here. Time for our first challenge. Take any verse out of context. Mm. Helen! John 14, 13, Jesus said, Whatever you ask in his name, he will give to you. So, if you don't get what you want, then that means that my faith is better than yours. Ah, John 14, 13 just got Helen 14.13 points. <laughs> that brings us to our first break. But there'll be more twisted right after this 34 minute commercial. Twisted is a series that's going to take all these passages of Scripture that we misquote and we take out of context and we misapply, and we're going to look at some of those today. So to to do that this morning, to start with, I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story about a young American kid. This is a true story. young American kid who gets a scholarship to play tennis at this college, and apparently all the other kids that the, the college had recruited to play tennis, they were from Australia. So you have this one American kid and all these other Australian kids, and they're on this uh, tennis team together in college. None of them are Christians, so they're typical college kids who aren't Christians. They're out partying their brains out and trying to play tennis and maybe study a little bit, and uh, that would pretty much describe their life. And one day, the American kid gives his life to Christ, and overnight, his world has changed. Overnight, everything starts to change for this kid. And uh, he's not doing the party thing like the rest of them. And, and uh, you got to understand, these, these boys were all really, really close, very good friends, brothers. Loved each other like brothers. And the American kid desperately wants to witness to his Aussie friends and tell them about Jesus, but he has no success in doing so. Well, one day they were at, a, at an away match, and they had some time on their hands, and they eventually found their way to the track and field area, and they discovered that the high jump pit was intact, like you could, if you wanted to, you could play, you could high jump. So the Aussies set up the bar, you know, and they're all trying to do their best um, Fosbury imitation and do the flip and um, with varying degrees of unsuccess. And, you know, they're setting the bar at like three, three and a half feet, four feet. It's not going well for them. The American is kind of hanging back and not really doing that. And uh, what he didn't tell them was he was a high jumper in high school. So, you know, they're trying their hand at jumping over the high bar, and and it's not working very well. And finally, they look at him, and they say, hey, why don't you try to jump it? And uh, so he he said, okay, I'll do that. So he steps up, and he sets the bar at six feet. And they start laughing at him. And so they said, there's no way you're going to jump it at six feet. We couldn't even do it at three, three and a half, four feet. There's no way you're getting over that at six feet. And he said, uh, you guys think I can do this? And with varying degrees of never and no and absolutely not, they you know, voiced their protest. And so the Americans said, I'll tell you what, I'll say a prayer. I'm going to pray and ask my God to do a miracle and help me get over the high bar at six feet. And if he does, you have to come to church with me and give your life to Christ. So believing that there was no way that this kid was going to be able to clear six feet on the high jump. They all agreed to go to church with him. And again, they they have no idea that this kid was on the track team in high school and that his specialty was the high jump. So they all gathered around and they prayed. Can you imagine this? And and when they're praying, the American quoted a verse of scripture because somewhere he'd been told that if you quote scripture in your prayer, it makes your prayer more effective. Now, I don't know who told him that. Um, I don't think that's true. Um, You can try it if you want to and do a scientific study and tell him to get back with me on that but um, but that's what he did and this was the prayer he prayed God you said in your word that if I ask for anything in your name that you will hear my prayer and you will do what I want you to do in Jesus name I'm asking you to help me clear six feet on this high jump so all of my teammates would come to know you and go to church with me well, the Aussies are all laughing out loud. You know, they're snickering and they're, they're about to crack up at what's going on because they didn't think that he could do it. And they still don't know that 85% of the time in high school, this kid was able to clear six feet on a high jump. So the American, uh, he does his run up to the bar. You know how they take that big long run and they, they get up that head of steam and he's getting ready to do the Fosbury flop and he takes off and when he went up, All of the Aussies kind of gasped because they realized, "Uh uh-oh, he kind of acts like he knows what he's doing. So he's on his way up, and he gets his head up, his head clears the bar, his back clears the bar, he gets his bottom section over the bar, and then the last thing you do in your high jumper is you have to kick your feet. You have to kick your feet at just the right moment so that your feet don't hit the bar, and then you clear the bar. So what happened next is that he mistimed his kick and just ever so slightly ticked the bar. So as he's falling down, he knows he's hit the bar, and the bar starts to bounce. And he's thinking, well, maybe it's going to stay on there. And the bar's bouncing, he hits the pads, the bar's still bouncing, and then finally the bar bounces off and falls into the pit with him. And uh, needless to say, that his friends didn't go to church, and his friend they probably were wiping their brow, and uh, his friends didn't go to church and did not give their life to christ he was devastated god on most days i don't even need to pray before i do this i've never really needed you to clear six feet on the high bar i've never really prayed and asked you to get me over the high bar that was something that i always seemed to be able to do on my own i prayed in your name and i even used a bible verse why didn't you answer that prayer Today, we start a new series called Twisted, and we're going to look at some of the most misused, misquoted verses. Don't miss next week, because next week, we're going to look at one of the most culturally relevant, it's probably be one of the most culture, culturally relevant sermons I preach all year. Uh, we're going to look at that passage of Scripture, Judge Not Lest Ye Be Judged, you know, the one that everybody likes to use. We're going to talk about that next week. This week... Um, I want to look at a verse that the American used, and and he prayed this right before his high jump. It's John 14, verses 13 and 14. If you want to find that in your Bible, there may be a couple things you want to circle or underline. And this will be our anchor verse. We're going to look at a bunch of other verses, too, but this is the one that I'm really going to keep coming back to. So, this is probably one of the most misapplied, misused, misunderstood, misquoted verses in the whole Bible This is what it says. John 14, I will do whatever you ask in my name. This is Jesus talking. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So, if you pray in faith and in the name of Jesus, you get the job, you get the car, you get the girl, you win the lottery, right? I mean, that's what it says. If you ask for anything in my name, if you've got a Bible that's a red letter edition, that means that Jesus said those words, then that's written in red in your Bible. Am I right? So it's got to be true. I mean, if Jesus said it, it's got to be true. I've heard stories about people who have gotten sick. I heard a story about a lady in a church who got treatable cancer. Treatable cancer. And she was in a small group, and when she got sick, she and her small group put their heads together and prayed, and they decided that they were going to stand on this verse. Now, I don't know what it means to stand on a verse. I just, Can I just get on a high horse for a minute? Christians drive me crazy with the language we speak sometimes, right? No wonder non-Christians don't want to come to church. They hear us talking like, I do not want to sound like that. I'm going to stand on that verse. Whatever standing on a verse means, they were going to do it, okay? And so they're going to stand on this. We're claiming these promises in this verse, and, and she's, we're just going to believe, and she's going to be healed. And she refused treatment, and she tragically died. Treatable, curable cancer. She denies the treatment, stands on a verse, claims it in faith in Jesus' name, and thought she would be healed. Obviously, this isn't true. Obviously, this does not work. Obviously, this is not what Jesus is saying. Or obviously, Jesus' words can't be trusted. Or, maybe we're twisted in our understanding and application of what Jesus was saying. So today, what I want to do is teach you a simplified version of how we interpret Scripture. I want to teach you, basically, this is going to be a a brief how-to in Bible study, okay? Does that sound like something that you might want to know? Like how to approach the Bible and how to read it and how to, you know, figure out what's going on. So I'm going to give you, to start with, I want to give you three very simple thoughts on how to find the real meaning in Scripture, all right? The first one is this, understand the context. That's number one understand the context we want to know not just what the verse says we want to know what came before the verse we want to know what happens after the verse we want to know who wrote it we want to know to whom it was written what were they going through what's the background of the person that's written this what what would you know what special things would we know about that person what's the major theme what is God trying to say through this person who's writing whatever it is that we're reading we want to understand the context we don't want to just kind of pull out a verse. And let's be honest, we, we probably have all done that at one time or another. I think that there are probably entire sermons that I have preached on a specific passage of Scripture that I completely misinterpreted, and, and the whole thing was wrong, and then I come to a better understanding later in my life, and I'm like, ooh. Like, I, when I was in Bible college, you know that passage, in the, if you have a King James Bible in like 2 Timothy 2, there's a passage that says, study to show thyself approved you remember that study to show thyself approved now if you just listen to that and i remember in bible college we had a guy preach a preacher came and preached a sermon to us on why we should study hard because it's gonna please god that we study hard now it is true that if you study hard it does please god if you're a bible college student i would think studying hard would please god here's the problem The word, the Greek word there is a little, it's a big word, it's called spudadzo. Spudadzo, you want to impress your friends at the water cooler tomorrow? Say, yeah, spudadzo, it's interpreted study in the King James Bible. Well, spudadzo literally means to work hard, be diligent. So in my Greek class, when we came to spudadzo, we didn't interpret it, study to show thyself approved. What we read was, Work hard, be diligent to show yourself someone who can rightly handle the Word of God. Okay, that's different. But this guy preached a whole sermon on it out of context. I've done the same thing. You've probably talked about a verse of Scripture and didn't understand it correctly. It doesn't mean that we're heretics. It doesn't mean we're bad people or bad Christians. It simply means that as we come into better understandings, we use the verses better. And so what I want us to do is to be able to read passages, not take them out of context, try to find the context and handle the scripture properly. So we want to embrace and understand the context. Number two, we want to interpret scripture with other scripture. This is really important. In other words, the best way to understand the Bible is with the Bible. We're not going to take one verse and build a life theology on one verse. We're not going to do that. We're going to take a verse, we're going to go back to other verses, and we're going to look at what other verses say about a similar theme. Like if If this verse is talking about prayer, and this verse talks about prayer, and this verse talks about prayer, we want to read them all, and we want to see if maybe there's something in this verse that might shed some light on what I'm reading about this verse in this particular section about prayer, and we're going to build our theology over the consistency of 66 different books of the Bible. See, people want to hold up the Bible, and they want to say, well, this book, well, here's the thing. This isn't a book. This is 66, this is a compilation of 66 different books with some like 40 authors who were inspired by the Holy Spirit, and were, and we're gonna, what we wanna do is we wanna interpret Scripture through the eyes of all of these people and bring all of what they had to say to bear if we can. And then, number three, and most importantly, we're going to apply what we've learned. The Bible is not so much a book to be studied as much as it is a, a letter from God to be lived. That's really what it is. We want to apply this to our lives. So having said all of that, I want us to look at John 14, 13 again. And I will do whatever you ask in my name. I, I want to understand the context. I want to interpret the Bible with the Bible. And I want to learn to apply that. So let's start with context. When, when this was written, who wrote the book of John? Who, who wrote the book of John? John. See, you're Bible scholars. Already. <laughs> It's not a trick question, it's not hard. John wrote the book of John, so you're a Bible scholar. So the next question is, what's the main theme of the book of John? You might say, well, I don't, Brad, I don't really know what the the theme of the book of John is. Well, I'll tell you, the main theme, when people come to me and they're new Christians and they say, Brad, I want to read my Bible, what should I read? Like, maybe that's, this is going to be something that will be helpful for somebody. You're you're like, I want to read my Bible, but I don't know what to read. Read the book of John. And when you get through with it, read it again. when you get through with it read it again just read it till you can't read it anymore read it till you you come to me like brett i gotta read something other than the book of john but i tell people to go read the book of john here's why because the theme of the book of john john's trying to get people to understand that jesus was the son of god the 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 theme of the book of john is that that jesus is god like let me let me tell you about the whole chapter of the book of of john uh, not the whole chapter of the book of john but john 14 no i'm sorry I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me tell you what it says at the very beginning of the book of John to kind of back up this idea that, that Jesus is God. Listen to what it says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then you go to John 1:14, uh, 14, about 14 verses later, it says, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So the main theme of John is that John is trying to get people to understand that Jesus is the Son of God. Then you come... So this particular passage it's in it's in john chapter 14 verses 13 and 14. so now you're asking yourself okay i know what the theme of john is what was john trying to communicate in this particular part of his letter you know when you write a letter you write into paragraphs and and you know each paragraph kind of has a theme or a, a certain idea that you're trying to get across so what was the theme or what was the idea that john's trying to get across in john 14. It starts off, he talks about, don't be afraid, I'm going to a place, I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my house there are many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you, do not worry, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me, John 14, 6. When I go away, I've got great news, the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to live in you and you may think that you're alone but you're really not alone you're going to be in better shape than you've ever been in your life because the holy spirit is going to come and i'm going to go away but don't worry i'm sending the holy spirit and one day i'm coming back that's really what john's trying to say in john 14 so if you look at the main theme of john 14 jesus is really talking about prayer he's not really talking about prayer but he's talking about um, the preparations that are being made for us as christians so that when we go to heaven everything is there the way we want it to be So what's the context of John to show that Jesus is the Son of God? That's really what John's talking about. And then the big theme of John 14 is actually not prayer. It's about preparation for what's coming and how God is taking care of us through Jesus. So with that understanding, let's reread that portion of the verse. And this time, let's not make ourselves the main character in the text But let's remember who is always the main character in the text, and that is God. It is not us. God is always the main character in the Bible, not us. It just floors me how we think everything is about us. I I told him in first service, I think that in every church lobby and across our country, every church you walk into in the lobby, the first thing you see is a sentence that says, it's not about you. I think it'd be great if we just got that in our head. It's not about you. Well, but, Brett, it is about me. No, it's, it's really not. It's about you coming to worship a huge God. It's about you and me coming to say, God, man, what you've done for us is amazing. We want to bless you. We want to worship you. We want to praise you. It's not about you. So let's read this again with that context and understanding. John 14, verse 13. And I will do Whatever you ask in my name. Then what does he say? He says, so that. When I was in Bible college and I had Greek class, I loved this little phrase in Greek class because it, you find it all over scripture. You find this little phrase, so that. And, and there were a lot of words. You know, I was not the brightest bulb in the, in the socket, if you know what I'm saying. And so Greek class, especially at 7 o'clock in the morning, I had a Greek class They ought to give you a diploma just for showing up for that, right? (laughs) Greek at 7 in the morning. And so, you know, I'd have all these words I had to go through and be able to identify and define and put them in the right order and all that kind of stuff, and really hard. So there are certain words that were familiar, and so that is very familiar in Scripture. Let me tell you how to use the word so that when you study the Bible. When you come to so that, what that's doing is it's indicating purpose, it's telling you to connect what you just read with what's about to happen it's gonna in other words it's the why okay it's putting you together with with it's putting two thoughts together so you read that and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the father may be glorified in the son you see what just happened the reason God answers prayers is not so that our lives would be better so that we would have money, and so that you can have the kitchen countertops that you want. Okay, I, I, I hate to break you up, but, I mean, you realize that, right? Prayer's not just this thing that you're just supposed to use so you can ask God for the things that you want. Please tell me you know that, because I, I, sometimes I, see, I hear, I mean, I'm, I see things on the internet, see things on Facebook, and I'm like, I, you know, pray for this and pray for this, and it's just like a wish list thing. Prayer is about more than that, but what we've kind of reduced it to is, well, these are the things I want, and God, these are the things I need, and I'm just gonna that's what my prayer time is about. The reason God answers prayers is so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Okay? Let's understand that. When we read this, not we don't want to be seeing ourselves as the main subject of the Bible, but seeing God as the main subject of the Bible, we recognize that there is a much different purpose for our prayers than many of us often realize. So you would say, well, Brett, why are you making such a big deal of this? Well, here's why. Because this is a big, big reason. I've been a Christian for 43 years now, and I've been in ministry for over 30, and I I have lost count of how many people I have watched walk away from the faith because they misunderstood prayer. I've watched person after person walk away from the faith because I prayed for it, I believed in him, he didn't do it, so therefore he's not real, he doesn't care, and he's not good. And over and over again, people for those reasons have walked away from Jesus. So, understanding the context, let's now take a moment to try to translate scripture with scripture. In other words, what does the Bible say about what God cares about when we pray? And and we're going to basically look at four things. There are four things that God cares about when we look at, when we we pray. And um, as we translate scripture with scripture, what else does the Bible say about prayer? Four things. Number one, your relationships matter. Your relationships matter to God. In Mark 11, you read this. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Now that's an amazing promise. Verse 25, and when you stand praying if you hold anything against anyone what are you supposed to do say it out loud forgive them forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive your sins wow so when you're praying and you're ticked off at somebody you're supposed to deal with that before you keep on praying evidently relationships matter to god God, I want a pony. I want a pony in Jesus' name. I claim it. I name it. I want a pony. And I hate my brother. Sorry, dude, no pony for you. Not with that attitude. Because your relationship with your brother matters to God. As a parent, we know this is true, right? I mean, your kids start in on this thing. Stop touching me. Mom, she's touching me. She's on my side. And and, and you just get into this whole, you know, make her stop touching me, make her stop touching me. Mom, can I have a friend over? No, you can't have a friend over. Not if you're going to treat your sister like that. Heck no. Apparently, it's pretty clear cut. Relationships matter to God. It's pretty simple when when we're adults, right? We get that when we're parents. We get that. We understand I just totally jacked up my voice. Okay, so let me talk to the, 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 uh, the husbands for a minute. And wives, do not elbow him. Do not say amen. Just sit there and look forward and pretend that I'm talking about somebody else's husband and let God work on your husband, okay? I'm trying to help you. First Peter says this, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. <laughs> you, you are not helping your cause, dude. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> and as heirs with you, of the gracious gift of life so that what so that nothing will hinder your prayers how can i apply that here's how i would apply that if i am being a jerketh to dd see how I king james did to make me sound more spiritual how i did that if i am being a jerketh to dd what does that do that might hinder my prayers Evidently, there's something that matters to God when you pray. Your relationships matter. Secondly, your motives matter to God. Your motives matter. James, the brother of Jesus, said this, when you ask, do not receive, and do not, you do not receive because you ask with what? Wrong motives. You ask with wrong motives. This was common in Jesus' day. The Pharisees, they were a, they were a pitiful bunch, actually. The Pharisees, you know, The person that always acts more spiritual than everybody else, that dude always scares me, All right? Because I've been stabbed in the back by those kind of folks. I kind of need to know there's something wrong with you so I can relax around you. When you act like nothing's wrong with you, I don't trust you for a minute because that's the ones that have always hurt me, right? The ones that just act like they're more spiritual than everybody else. So when you pray perfect and you give perfectly and God does everything in your life and you know all the Bible verses and everything... I never really, can I just confess, I never really close both eyes when you're praying because I'm watching you. (laughs) So, so the Pharisees, they like to look spiritual. So what they would do is, in Jesus' time, in certain cities, there would be a bell that would ring that would signify it was time for prayers. They would do this different times throughout the day. The Pharisees figured out when those times were, they knew when the times were, and so they would, they would make sure that they were in busy marketplaces When the bell would ring so that they could be seen by a lot of people praying and everybody would go oh, they're so spiritual because they're praying And they would stand on street corners and they would pray things like dear God in heaven I thank you that I am not like the Gentiles and I'm holy and I pray these long prayers and God would say that's the wrong motive And Jesus would say You're a hypocrite And we're all susceptible to this God, I want a Christian girl, but not just a regular Christian girl. God, I want a smoking hot Christian girl. And when you can't find one, now you're praying for a smoking hot wild girl, and I'll just start praying that she gets saved, right? Oh, glory to God, she's a hot smoking hot girl. I'm going to pray now. Here's a good prayer. Save her, Jesus. Save her, Jesus. Save her, Jesus. Sounds right, right? Wrong motive. Wrong motive your motives matter when you pray. Proverbs, all a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. So we just use scripture to help us with scripture. Evidently, there are some things that matter to God when you pray. Relationships appear to matter, motives appear to matter. Your faith matters to God when you pray. James chapter 1 says this, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Evidently, your faith matters and moves the heart of God. The Bible talks about a childlike faith. I love to hear kids pray. One of my jobs, raising our kids, i at night, I would give the baths and and I would say the, do the prayers and so so I would give them baths and you know put them in their p j s and put a little good smelling on them you know and send them to bed and and uh, then I would go pray with the boys and uh, then I would go in and pray with Delaney and so it was it was fascinating to listen to them pray um, and you know when little kids pray they don 't know any better they just they pray for they they just think god can do anything rightfully so i mean right god can do anything we know that and so god's just or kids just take god at his word and they say well if you can do anything i'm going to ask you for anything and my kids ask for some pretty big anythings and and then you know they would do that praying in faith innocent little prayers and then the pastor in me you know felt like i should come behind that and say things like stupid things like well you know god's not going to do that right You, you know i mean here i am the mature pastor that needs to be instructed by my kids like no when you have a childlike faith it can move the heart of god some great things have been accomplished by people who prayed for things they didn't know any better they shouldn't pray for and then you got idiots like me that are saying oh no you shouldn't pray for stuff like that god will never do that well good luck brett no wonder god doesn't answer your prayers you don't have any faith childlike faith to some degree and i can't fully explain it our faith matters to god two blind men came to jesus and said have mercy on us jesus and we read this jesus in mark 9 he touches their eyes and then he says according to your faith let it be done to you and their sight was restored your faith matters to god so if you're taking really good notes this morning Here's what you've learned. You've learned that relationships matter to God. You've learned that motives matter to God. And you've learned that faith matters to God. And someone might be tempted to say, well, if my my relationships are good and my motives are good and my faith is strong, then God has to do what I want him to do. And when you do that, you are slipping dangerously close to something we call a prosperity gospel. Name it and claim it. Blab it and grab it. See it and be it. I want that car in Jesus' name. That car is mine. I'm confessing it. Bless God. It's going to be mine. I don't like to work. I ain't worked in 400 years. I'm unemployed and I don't work, but that car is going to be mine, bless God. Name it and claim it. Blab it and grab it. See it and be it. That's me. I'm going to have enough faith. It's going to be done. In Jesus' name, it's going to be done. In other words, it's up to me. It's my faith and it's up to me. Now, what I'm probably doing right now is ticking somebody off. (laughs) Because you grew up in that, right? Some of you grew up in that. You were taught that's how you pray. That you just name it and claim it, and they've been raised that way. And so you might be tempted to write me off, but hang with me because this is pretty serious. If I just have enough faith, if I have a pure motive, if I do this, God is my magic genie. And he's just like a Coke machine, and I put in the right coins, and I get to pick what I want, and I, when I hit that button, I expect to come out what I thought was going to come out. See, when you go to a Coke machine, and you hit the button labeled Sprite, you expect Sprite to come out. God, I want to get what I expect. Number four, God's will matters. God's will matters. His sovereign nature, his goodness His character, his eternal plan, God's will matters. John, the same John who said, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it, also said this in 1 John. This is 1 John 5. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything, let's say this together, according to his will, say it again, according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him if we ask it according to his will. According to his will. You cannot just ask him for whatever we want and demand that he does it for us. That makes us God and him our servant. And it's not according to his will anymore, it's according to our will. See, that's how we pray a lot of the time. We pray according to our will. See, if we understand that, then then the context of John 14, 14 comes way better for us. It might make a little more sense when we read it again. You may ask me for anything in what? In my name, and I will do it in my name. In other words, if we're going to the Father and we're going to use the name of Jesus, we need to ask something according to the will of God, or we are discrediting and we're misusing the name of Jesus. Let me explain it this way and i'll just tell you before i do this this is not a perfect illustration okay this illustration pressed to its limits doesn't hold up but it it gets the point across once in a while um a friend of mine here in the church that's a business owner or a manager or something like that will have a job that they need to fill and they'll come to me and they'll say brett do you know of somebody in the church that's looking for work um i've got an opening and i if i'm going to fill it i'd really like to have somebody from cross lane working for me and and um, do you know somebody that needs some work? And once in a while, I have somebody, one of you will come up to me and say, Brett, I, I'm, I'm out of work. If you've got something, um, if you know of something, please let me know. I, I, I need to work. And so I love it whenever I'm able to put those two people together. It doesn't happen often, but once in a while, I'm able to, to facilitate two people coming together, and, and it's a win-win for both of them, and it's awesome. But you've got to understand, my name means something to me. My name means something to me. I said this to my kids growing up. Your name is an important name. You you have my father's name. I gave you my father's name. And that name's important. My name means something to me. And if you're going to use my name, I expect you to respect me and respect my reputation and respect the person that I'm going to send you to. If you use my name to get a job and you go do a lousy job, that reflects on me. I'm giving you access to my name. I'm giving you access to the goodwill that I have accumulated with someone else, that I've worked hard to get in their good graces and to build a good relationship with them, a relationship where they trust me so much, they would come to me and say, hey, Brett, if you know somebody, I'll take your word, you send them to me, and I'll try and put them to work. If I give you my name, you're using something that you otherwise would not have been able to have and not been able to use. Using my name is a privilege, and it's also a responsibility. I'm giving you something you did not earn. When you go before God, you use the name of Jesus, you have access to the creator of the universe because Jesus gave you his permission. Because of what Jesus did, he gives you the right to speak to the God you do not deserve to speak to. And suddenly you realize that by using the name of Jesus... It's a massive responsibility. It's a huge privilege. I have the privilege to enter into the throne room of grace because of who Jesus is and what he has done for me. Therefore, it is not the key that unlocks the magic box to get what I want. I come and I honor God and I honor Jesus with the way I use his name. So here's what happens. We pray and once in a while, God does a miracle We pray and we ask God for something big and once in a while that big thing comes through and it's like, man, God, thank you. You're so awesome. And sometimes we pray and it doesn't go like we want. In fact, I've heard people say, you know, I prayed and it got worse. I prayed in faith, I really thought it was going to get better and it just got worse and I really didn't know what to do. The tragedy is too many people walk away from God because God didn't do exactly what they wanted him to do. At every elders meeting the first thing I do when I come into an elders meeting is I hand the guys a piece of paper and it's got the things that we need to discuss and talk about but at the very top of that page and I've told you this before at the very top of that page is a list somewhere between 7 and 12, 15 names uh, of people that we believe are far from God, that we believe have never made a decision to follow Christ um some of those people are in turkey we pray for you know we've got uh, some people in turkey that are trying to evangelize and they send us names of people we pray for them but we we've got a list of names some of the people that we're praying for right now we have been literally we have been praying for for 15 years 15 years i'm not kidding there have been names on that list some of you are in the room this morning your name was on that list And we prayed for you and you gave your life to Christ and you're now a believer in Jesus and you've got a hope and a glory and eternity to look forward to because God is good. But you were once on a prayer list that we prayed for. But we've got names of people that that we've been praying for for 15 years. And I'm gonna be honest with you. The human part of me when I'm making out that list sometimes is tempted to say, man, that's probably never gonna happen. I'm just gonna leave them off the list. And probably the human thing to think of our elders. And I don't know that he, I've never heard an elder say this, but I, I would. I, I mean, if they're human, they have to think this once in a while. They look at some of those names and they think, "Man, we've been praying for this person forever. Why do we pray for them? They're not coming to Jesus." But we don't give up. We pray. Every meeting, we pray. But every time we pray, we pray in faith that God somehow is going to move on the lives of those people. And that God's going to do something. We know that God can do it. We pray that God would do it. But even if he doesn't do it, we still believe. We still believe. We've literally prayed for some people six, seven years, and then they finally came to Jesus. And it's like, I love it when I can walk into the room and I say, boys, I cannot wait to tell you. See that name right there? Take your pen. And cross that name out because they just gave their life to Jesus. Woohoo! Love doing that. We believe he can. We believe he will. But even if he doesn't, we still believe. Why? Because our faith in God doesn't rest on what God doesn't do for me or the people that are close to me. Our faith in God rests on what Jesus did for, for us on the cross and in an empty tomb. If prayer is only a tool for me to get what I want, that is an insult to our God. Dads, can you imagine if your kids only came to you when they wanted something? (laughs) Dads are thinking, yes, because it happens all the time. (laughs) Dad, give me this. Dad, give me that. Dad, in the Wilson name, give me this. Dad, in the Wilson name, can I please have that? What does that do? That makes my dad my servant. God is not my servant. I am his servant. I am not the main character in the Bible. God is the main character in the Bible. If he doesn't do what I want him to do, that doesn't lessen who he is, and it doesn't wreck my faith. Because my faith is not based on him doing what I demand that he do. My faith is based on his love when he sent Jesus to give his life for me. And suddenly when I realize that and I start praying through some of that, it changes things. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So prayer isn't just so I can get my wish list accomplished by God. Prayer is the avenue through which I get to know him and give him glory. Prayer is the avenue through which I get to know him and give him glory. God may answer your prayers the way you want him to and it it may be years later and it may be in a way that you never expected but it will always be in a way that brings him glory. I pray not to get what I want but to submit my will to what he wants. God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I hope your faith is built. I hope you pray for big things. I hope you believe that God can, and I hope that you believe that God will. But even if he doesn't, I hope that you will still believe that your faith does not rest on what you want him to do, but that your faith rests on the goodness of an empty tomb. Jesus died and rose again so that we might live, and for that reason, we put our faith in him. I'm going to pray to close us out, and the guys are going to come and play us out, but I just want to pray over you. This morning let's pray together father we have all lifted verses out of context we have all read the bible and misunderstood or misapplied something and it doesn't make us bad people it makes us human we we have this tendency to fall back into doing things selfishly we have a tendency to want to apply everything and make it about us we live in america so we think that we're privileged and everything's about us And then we come to your word and it's real easy for us to lose sight that it's really not about us. It's about a magnificent God who who has a, a capacity to love and a willingness to give and sacrifice on our behalf in ways that we don't even really, we can't wrap our head around it. And so Father, for those times that we've, probably with really good intentions, misused a passage or prayed to you the wrong way or treated you like some kind of genie, we're really sorry. I pray, Father, that after today, we we understand that it's such a privilege to come to you and pray in Jesus' name. He earned that name. And what he went through, we could never go through. And he loans us his name, and he says, you take this with you when you go to the Heavenly Father. And you pray in my name. You make sure your relationships are right. You make sure your motives are right. You make sure that you're praying things in the will of God. Father, we love you. We love you really because you loved us first and you loved us best. We pray it all in the beautiful, precious name of Jesus. Everybody said,